Hello, and welcome to the DOS Champions Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 5. Baby food's expensive, but it's good. It's worth it. Yeah, it it is worth it. Um, Alex, how are you feeling? How you been, man? Uh, you know, I'm at the uh, I'm at like the second phase of COVID. I don't know if everyone has this when they get COVID, but when I got COVID, I felt like I was dying for like a, a night, and then I just like felt like kind of sick and achy. But the second phase of it, like a week after you've cleared it, is like coughing and like this just like runny nose that won't go away. And I've found that Pedialyte is like one of the best remedies for it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we have Pedialyte in the house for our baby, but I eat the majority of the baby food these days. And uh, it costs money, but it's uh, it is rather toothsome. Yeah, I uh, I get into some Pedialyte every so often. I'm terrible about like properly hydrating myself, especially when I'm at work. So I'll just like concentrate on shit and then be like, oh, yeah, you're supposed to take care of yourself. And then you combine that with like going to a game uh, and drinking a few beers. And I'm like, why do I have a headache? So Pedialyte helps combat the, uh, you know, terrible ability I have to take care of myself properly. This might be TMI, but um, like when it's the middle of the night and, you know, our kid wakes up at like two in the morning and I feed him a bottle, I usually... I usually hit the head afterwards and I do not flush because I don't want to wake up my wife. And there's been many occasions where she's like, why is it like a brownish yellow? You should drink more water. And so the, the struggle to drink enough water is real. And all I can say for people who don't want to consume normal amounts of water is that Pedialyte is the solution. Yeah. It's good for hangovers. Good for, you know, just about everything. Not well, mouthwash, I like, probably, though. No, but I like the way it tastes, too. Yeah. So that said, um, so that's what's going on with me, is uh, recovering from COVID. Um, my good folks over at Berber City, <clears throat> they have, um, we've produced a video to raise funds for the club. Uh, a lot of the stuff, league fees, travel, kits. Um, it's expensive and, and nobody pays themselves doing it. And so, you know, you raise funds so that you can give kids a better experience, but also so you don't have to tap into your own pockets to finance whatever it is that you're doing. So um, Tom Arneson, really good dude, uh, worked closely on the Eric Wynalda documentary, helped us with the video. He basically did it for a fraction of the charge that he would otherwise uh, charge a customer for. So big shout to him. He's an awesome dude, was a lot of fun to work with and uh, before we launch the video and do the basic fundraising, um, we're doing like a little bit of financial modeling so that if we raise $10,000, we know where it goes. If we raise 20000 we know where it goes. Fifty, dollars we know how to allocate the funds. And we just feel like that's a really important effort to, to conduct. And um, it's really important for the parents to understand that if money's raised, we're not just going to take the profits and put it in our pocket and, uh, you know, treat the kids to like Little Caesars once a season. Um, but we would actually like to do some really cool things with the, with the kids that we're coaching. So that's what we're doing right now. That's awesome, man. I'm excited to see how all of that turns out. Hopefully you guys are able to, uh, you know, get what you need to keep developing how things are going down there. Thanks, man. Um, I, I love that we, we ended up getting in the direction of doing grassroots soccer through doing the pod in the first year. And after 
episodes of discourse on what's important and why we both arrived to grassroots soccer and then we both lived it. Speaking of which, what's happening with Madison Forward? Well, Forward Madison uh, is, you know, it's a it's been up and down this season. It, it's been so fun though to to ride the roller coaster. Uh, the last game was against. North Carolina FC. It was a zero zero tie. Uh, this was at home. So kind of a, a disappointing result. I got to go with my, um, my sister and my parents. So it was nice to, uh, to do that at least, but, uh, Madison is currently sitting fifth in the table. So that that's a playoff spot, which is awesome. But next they are away versus, uh, Omaha and Omaha is one of the better teams in the league. They have the, the best defense in the league, I believe. And beyond that, the next few games are against other uh, playoffs teams. I think they got uh, John Harkes' Greenville Triumph after that. And then um, I think it's Chattanooga at home after that. So really important uh, games coming down the pipeline for them. And it's kind of make or break here. We'll see uh, if they're able to maintain that that playoff spot. It's a total log jam in the league, especially in the like let's say fourth through um, eighth or ninth area. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for some, some better results in the near future here, but uh, they have been a lot more sound defensively since picking up the, the new goalkeeper. So, uh, so yeah, I'm pretty excited about, about that at least. Yeah. Between um, I must say like in Wisconsin, between Bavarians, Croatian Eagles and um, forward Madison, I really think Wisconsin probably has better soccer than Illinois. Um, and it's weird to say that about because Chicago's got so many people in it that you would think and, and like such a diverse population as well that you would think that, hey, maybe you could they could organize the game well enough to come together. But like the Chicago Fire doesn't really have like a grassroots feel in Chicago at all. And um, there aren't a lot of clubs with like a lot of history. I mean, there well, was historically, but not so much anymore. I mean, you guys got Schwaben down there. That's not like in Chicago, Chicago, and that's, I remember going to some of those tournaments when I was a kid. Um, And then there's the like, what is it? RWB Ardia, I believe is the name of the team. And they're like a Midwest powerhouse in terms of adult, um, adult soccer. I don't know the area well enough uh, in terms of the, the soccer landscape. I know you guys have some really good, like, you know, the soccers and uh, Eclipse FC, some good youth programs and, and stuff. Chicago Magic, right? Those are always Rockford like... Raptors, you could say, and, and but that's, you know, Rockford's not Chicago, but it's Illinois. Yeah. Um, I, I do think, though, that uh, Wisconsin and Milwaukee in particular has, like, a really neat scene of, like, the old world clubs. Um, and really for me, it's just been, that's something I, I grew up participating in and, and like playing for the Bavarian and going to some of those other facilities. Uh, so I, I'm really not positive how it is uh, on that level in other parts of the country, but uh, it's, it's really neat to have gotten to do it um, up in this area. Yeah, man, I, I really do have admiration for how they're doing it in Wisconsin. Obviously, love the Bavarians in the way that they've built like a sustainable design, um, owning many of their own facilities. I just, I just think that they did it right. But, um, you know, I'll stop pontificating on Chicago and Illinois or Illinois and Wisconsin soccer. What do we have for our, our listeners today, Ryan? What are we going to talk about? So uh, we're going to go kind of our, our 
guess our normal-ish breakdown here, we'll do our EPL uh, highlights and, and everything. And then we're going to talk U.S. Men's National Team, this time with a particular focus on the nine position. Uh, things are really heating up there. And I, I know you got some uh, particular points of discussion. Oh, yeah, I guess you could say that. I definitely do. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about EPL and the men's national team. Um, so jumping into EPL, um, which side of Liverpool do we start on, blue or red? Uh, let's go Let's go red and work our way down. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> kick us off on, on uh, Liverpool. So they absolutely smashed Bournemouth 9-0 at home, um, you know, some of the breakdowns are from what I saw or Firmino, Firmino had just an awesome day. It's been a little while since he's contributed in that manner. So it's good to see him p- getting some production. Uh, Salah though was kind of quiet, which you wouldn't really expect in this type of victory. I'm not sure how much that says exactly, but it is noteworthy. Uh, you know, in general, it's really nice to get back on track. But for me, these type of victories are, you know, oh, yay, we like beat the snot out of somebody. But like it it only matters if they keep it going. You could take it as a sign of them, you know, all right, this is what you would expect more often. But I don't know. I'll take the three points. And this next game on Wednesday at home against Newcastle is going to be a lot more telling for exactly where Liverpool is at than uh, what they just did to Bournemouth. Yeah, and I think Newcastle's going to be hungry in that game. I like how Liverpool won 9 nothing, and you're like, ah, I guess I'll take it. Um, but to your point, you're right. I mean, like, three points is three points in, in beating down Bournemouth. Um, I mean, to some, like, people would say, like, the momentum that can be built and, like, reestablishing the mindset on the team that this is who Liverpool is and this is how we win these games and this is what we're capable of might hold some... Uh, might hold a little bit of water, but um, at the end of the day, you're right. Like it's, it's three points and like, what do you expect Bournemouth to do? Yeah. And Bournemouth is, is poor really for, I don't, you know, I'm not going to gloat too much about like smashing a team up nine zero and it's a long season. You know, by the time we get to April, this game is not going to like matter more than what it did for goal difference. If that matters and what it did bottom line though, is the points. So. I'd be so funny if like in April you and I are having this pot and it's like, well, thank God we won nine, nothing. Yeah. Uh, I'll, hey, I'll eat that. You know, if <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tasty crow to eat. That's yeah, like a exactly. Baby, it's like baby food. Um, all right. So moving on to the, uh, you know, the, the fairer side of, uh, Liverpool, um, uh, my boys in blue, um, they tied Brentford and, um, that wasn't the first points of the season. That's the second points of the season. Oh yeah, uh, no, nah, okay. yeah. So uh, no, it's all good. So they tie, they tie Brentford. And truth be told, um, I'm really happy with that result because Brentford's a good team. Um, when I watched the game, my interpretation was that Brentford dominated, and it was really uh, Jordan Pickford who saved our ass. He had like he had saves, and I, I didn't care to rewind it. Um, but he had saves where I was like, oh my gosh, like. Did he actually, was that him that kept that from going in the goal or did like the, was the bar hit or did something happen? I mean, he had like, you know, like wide receiver out of Alabama, like reflexes and reach on some of these saves. He played a really fantastic game. Um, and it's good that he does that because he botches it 
oftentimes for the team. I mean, he's, they joke around about his small arms and, um, uh, Ben Godfrey suffered his injury on an error from Jordan Pickford. So he has his moments where he screws up. Um, Anthony Gordon scored, uh, it was a nice goal. Um, and I think with like all the talk about him not being worth the dollar, the dollars and cents that people, especially in U.S. men's national team communities, say he's not worth. It's nice for him to go out and prove his value in that regard. Um, and yeah, uh, Holgate was injured. Mason Holgate was injured. So now we have injuries to Mina, uh, uh, Yuri Mina, Ben Godfrey, and Mason Holgate in the defensive line. And on the whole, Everton have injuries to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Abdoulaye Decore, Andre Gomez, Andros Townsend. And Tom Davies, along with Yuri Mina, Ben Godfrey, and Mason Holgate. So the team is really banged up, for, but for as banged up as they look, um, they can actually still deploy like a reasonable squad. Uh, Onana and uh, Alex Wobi are playing very well out of the central midfield together. We've got Leeds away on Tuesday, and I'm not sure if Neil Mappé will be prepared for that game, but we did just transfer in Neil Mappé, who is a huge addition to the team. because Yeah, he's a good player. Yep. Um, and I, I have to feel like if we can muscle out a few ties and stay in the battle of the relegation zone, by the time that DCL comes back, um, we might actually be in decent condition. And I don't think Everton are finished with the transfers, especially if they can offload Anthony Gordon, which I think they should do. Yeah, uh, I have to think this is a, this is a huge point. This is like stealing a point, in my opinion. Brentford is like they're not a pushover at all. They give liter- they can literally give any team in the league. A, a tough, a tough away game. So Everton getting a point here is a big deal for them. Um, I think it probably makes the the team feel pretty good about their ability to to get get results. So that type of thing shouldn't be dismissed whatsoever. They do seem like they've gotten a few good signings. The injuries are just it's absolutely terrible for them. So like you said, if they can ride this and come out, um, you know, not in a total shit spot then maybe they'll have a you know have a good chance to to kick on from there um who knows if Lampard'll survive it though yeah um well based on some of the performances this week i i wonder if bookies have him as you said um the most likely of candidates to get uh, axed i would we'll suspect talk- not any longer yeah me too i i i'll let you cover that um later in the pod Let's talk about Leeds for a second. Um, there were some conversations that we were having before the game. Uh, a lot of the U.S. fan base was very excited that Leeds were going to dominate Brighton, but I think we bo- we both knew Brighton's a pretty damn good team with a pretty damn good coach. Yeah, they're amongst the best coached teams in the entire league. Have been for you know quite some time now. Uh, this really isn't that surprising of a result. Brighton were just you know on. The whole of the game, the better team. Uh, it's, you know, just because Leeds beat up on Chelsea 3-0 one time is always about the next game, especially at the beginning of the season where it's kind of hard to tell exactly who who each team is and everything. Um, you, you, got, you can't take anything for granted, really, ever. And this, you know... This is just not that surprising of a result. Um, I think that Leeds probably don't feel too cruddy about it. And looking forward, it's really important for them to get 
a positive result out of the next game because they got some good feelings out of that Chelsea game and you don't want to lose it from like a little skid of poor results. So uh, I think one here alone, poor result doesn't hurt them too much, but if they, um, if they don't have a good performance against Everton, not even necessarily a win, but like a a good, like if there was some like exciting two, two draw where they like played pretty good, I think that might be okay as well, but really three points against Everton. If Leeds want to be, um, you know, making themselves safe, showing that they're not one of the relegation contenders uh, would be pretty big on Tuesday or tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, as an as an Everton fan, when I go into this game, you know, because I like Leeds a lot and want them to do well because of the American connection, but like I'm an Everton fan, so I'm pulling for Everton in this game. And I actually feel pretty good about this game. Um, after Leeds beat Chelsea, I kind of had to go back to the drawing board and I was like, well, what was it about that game that caused Leeds to win? Is it that like Tuchel is so like unwilling to move from a possession based game um, and a defensive style of play that when there's a high press and he doesn't adjust properly that they suffer? Is that the reason why they lost was, um, you know, Per the comments in Tuchel's interview, was it a goal that was scored early on and then the game got out of hand and they were actually the better team? Like, I don't believe that to be true, but I had to really think, how was it that Leeds was able to beat Chelsea in the way that they did? And as I look at the Everton game, um, the reason why I feel good about Everton's chances is because Everton doesn't really mess with the ball too much. Like, they're really into playing the long ball right down the center of the pitch. Um, They have like a huge emphasis on getting rid of the ball early in their defensive third, playing wide to the wings and like, like counterattacking. And I feel like they actually have a chance to beat leads, not just come away with a point. And so for me as an Everton fan, I look at this game and I'm like, okay, now's the chance to get the season um, in a position where it's manageable in the second half or, or the, or the longer stretch down the year. I think if Everton can pull away points, they're going to find themselves in a good position. And as a fan, this seems like a game that they can win. Yeah, maybe it is going to be a pretty close game then. Um, my my tendency, and maybe it's like a bias that I want Leeds to win, and I don't want Everton to do well, um, is that Leeds is going to get going to get some points here. But um, yeah, this is a this is a pretty I think exciting game uh, for. Yeah, we get to enjoy it tomorrow. So, what's your projected scoreline? Um, I could see a two-one Leeds victory. I've got a one-nothing Everton victory. All right. Hopefully, it's not a draw, or else we both look like idiots. We um, might any. We might anyways. I mean, I always do. So, um, yeah, there'd be no change there. I can take it. Um, so takeaways from week four. Ryan, what's your big takeaway from week four? So uh, I was really watching. I had, I think I had highlighted it as a game to watch, but Aston Villa-West Ham, I thought was like a pretty intriguing game. And Aston Villa came out looking not great. Um, and they, in general, have looked pretty shaky since getting three points in the first week. So, yeah, that's my, my big takeaway is like Aston Villa's repetitive poor performances and that they don't look like they're capable of adjusting necessarily. So, uh, yeah, I'm intrigued to see where this is all headed for them. 
It's weird because Gerard and Lampard, the legends, are both looking like they're on the hot seat. Yeah, some people would say it's not weird, I guess, but uh, they certainly are looking like they're on the hot seat. I'm not sure how much Aston Villa, um, or sorry, Gerard is like in danger of losing his job, fair or not, because he probably should kind of be on the hot seat right now. I actually think the guy that's probably on the hottest of seats currently in the league is, um, gosh, I'm mind blanking, but Lester's coach. Uh, Brendan. He's, hmm? Brendan. Yeah, yeah. Brendan Rodgers, um, they don't seem like they got what got it going on at all right now. And uh, once again, don't look like they're capable of adjusting. He looks like he's not, his motivation isn't quite what it used to be. He doesn't have the the ideas to, to adjust things like he was previously. I, I think he might be the first one to get canned at this point in time. Man, I think that's a really great call. Um... They've under this is the second straight season that they've underperformed and they've gone from bad to worse. Um and they lost this week to a Chelsea team that lost a man in the first 28 minutes of the game. Yeah. For real. That's not a good look uh for the team that was up a man. Um agreed. Uh so my takeaway from week 4 is that uh Fulham's an unlikely relegation candidate and it's really early to say this. Um I, I think at this point in the season, it's more likely that a team like Wolverhampton would get relegated over Fulham. Um, Fulham just like they show up to every game and, and maybe this changes, right? Because right? it's super early in the season and what happens when the injury bug comes, which it almost certainly will. And uh, what happens when you drop a few points that you shouldn't drop? I mean, they're riding like a wave right now. They've had really good performances early on, and I'm sure they've carried that momentum game after game. And even though they even though they lost to Arsenal this week, um, it was it was still a respectable performance, and I bet that they're not walking out of that game uh, feeling feeling all sorry. I, I think they're probably just as motivated as ever to go in and perform in the next fixture. So my big takeaway is that Fulham continue to be a team that um, that is is putting up fights in every game and is an unlikely relegation candidate in my eyes. Nice. Uh, so based on that, what are you looking forward to in Week Five? Uh, I think the Fulham Brighton game is going to be an absolute banger. Um, if Fulham can pull a result in this game, it will say first and foremost, it will like say a lot about who they really are. Cause Brighton's a really good team mm-hmm. and on paper, like the, the talent that's on the field should be able to compete with one another. So it, it should be a good game. If Fulham can get a result, they have Spurs the following week and Spurs as like, you know, most of us know are jockeying to be at the top of the table. And so they put themselves in the situation where they can like really be like this giant slayer going into the following week and like continue to exceed expectations. But at the same time, it's so early on in the season that a loss for Fulham and a win for some of the other teams that are facing relegation, you know, uh, I shouldn't say facing relegation, but are in the relegation zone, your Everton's, um, your Wolverhamptons, if those teams are able to pull results and Fulham isn't, Fulham's right back in the mix with the rest of the folks at the bottom of the table. So I just think it's a uh, very dynamic game. Yeah, and it's not even like the following week. Those get, That Spurs game is Saturday. Right. Right, that's coming up quick. Yeah, there's two games in quick succession here. Uh, and, you know, we're only into the fifth week of the season. So, you know, a third of the fixtures that will have been played 
in the entire league are going, you know, by Saturday, they're going to be played. So the picture can change drastically here. Um, one thing I'm really looking forward to uh, or paying close attention to, and this has been something I think I brought up a few times in podcasts already is, is wolves and namely, can they beat up on Bournemouth? Now Bournemouth just took a huge loss. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll rebound a bit, but wolves have this, they're bad at scoring goals. And I feel like if you can't score on Bournemouth, you're probably going to struggle to score all year. Yeah. They had a great, like, uh, you know, shot from Neves against, um, gosh, who, who is it that they, they tied Newcastle. Uh, but you know, when you have to rely upon that type of thing for your production, you're going to be left wanting quite often. And yeah, I want to see who they are. If they can, if they can come out and score a couple goals, maybe a few against Bournemouth and and get a easy victory, then it'll do a lot to make me, um, not be as, as hypercritical of their ability to score goals, uh, as I have been to begin the season. Cause if, but if they keep it up with their, like up, we can only score about a goal a game. I'm going to be really skeptical of their, their ability to, to do what it takes to stay up. Um, and you know, maybe their defense is going to help them out again, but I just don't think that you can, you can go for as long as they have being as, poor at scoring as they have and not start flirting with the relegation zone. Um, yeah, so. I think you're 100% right, man. That's a great call. And we talked about this last year that Jose Sa's production was unsustainable. Like he was punching above his weight and it was only a matter of time before it came back down to earth. And in the final third of the season, he did. Um, and you've been saying this about Wolves for a while. It's like they can't score goals. Um, it's fun to play with ideas on this pod. And one of the things that's like interesting to think about is if they are a relegation candidate and you know, whatever odds they have of getting relegated, I don't know, give it 20%. If they do get relegated, there is a shit ton of talent on that team that people are going to come and pirate. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to think about. I thought that they would get a lot better with Matthias, with Matthias Nunez, um, out of, um, sporting he's like he was like a really attractive transfer target for everton and even though we had no money i was like oh my gosh we have to go get him um but it's weird because wolves really they continue to do the same thing that they do which is like raid the portuguese player uh, portuguese league for midfielders but they have like a striker problem and a striker problem that they haven't been able to resolve and i haven't seen raul Jimenez really like turn the corner and like really ever since his injury unfortunately so I wonder what their remedy is going to be. And as you pointed out, like their production, their goal scoring production is coming out of, it's coming out of their midfield and they probably need a little bit more from their striker core. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of wraps it up for our EPL discussion for this episode. And we're going to get into the U S men's national team section with our focus on how the nines are performing. Uh, we'll do a little breakdown of, some of the the top guys, what they did in this last week, and then uh, close it out with a little bit deeper dive on uh, um, one guy in particular. Um, so first guy up on the list here is Josh Sargent. He had one goal in their 1-0 win. So for Josh, that's uh, four goals in um, three games now. All of those were Norwich wins, and 
they're on a three-game win streak in uh, in league play. Every game he's been playing striker doing that. So his rise has correlated directly with his team's rise in in the league. Uh, he's really he's on one right now, and you know, long may it continue. We could really use somebody like that going into Qatar. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Sargent's been like, is Sargent's been the guy for Norwich? Um, our good boy, class act, aka disgusting act, aka whatever filthy act he'll put in front of his name. He asked the question of how many times Sargent's won man of the match in the last three games, and I don't know what the answer is, but if you're asking the question, it's it's a pretty great question to be asking. Um, we love to see Josh Sargent do well. I think like at a time where many many of the fans were ripping on him. We were putting out a podcast on uh, how he's similar to Kai Havertz and how that type of player is going to mesh well with Pulisic. So to see him putting himself in a position where he can get back with the national team, I think is music to our ears heading into the World Cup. Um, I'll also note that all that talk about Sargent not being good last year, as far as I'm concerned, it just it wasn't true. He had issues with his confidence in front of the goal. I think we all saw that. But his coach continued to deploy him at a position that isn't his primary position. And he held that position and started for, you know, roughly 70% of the season, especially as a guy who had transferred into the squad, um, you know, just prior to the league kicking off. I thought that was a pretty impressive feat. Um, Also in league in what I'll just call league two production. So that's Bundesliga two in the championship. Sargent's averaging throughout the life cycle of his career, a goal a game. So the guy can definitely score goals and, yeah, he, he's going, I anticipate he's going to remain productive and shit, man, I think a year from now, we're going to be having the same conversation that we had last year about Josh Sargent when Norwich are getting their ass kicked in the EPL. <laughs> it's very likely. Uh, yeah, it's really nice to, to see him turn it around like this. And it's, it's really good timing of the national team. The um, next guy on the list here is Jordan P. Folk. So he racked up two assists in their 6-1 win this weekend uh he's got two goals three assists in the first four games of the bundesliga season and that makes him uh second in the league for combined goals and assists and then he's also had that one goal in the uh the german cup uh as well so he's been off to a really hot start and he's a large part of of union's early success uh he looks right at home where he's at and where that is right now is Top of the league in Germany. Yeah, it is top of the league in Germany. Um, man, they look really good this year. Um, like you said, tied tied with Bayern Munich for 10 points. Um, and yeah, they don't have the same goal differential. But I mean, the goal differential that Bayern has with the rest of the league is 14. Union Berlin is at eight. And then Freiburg is in third place with four. So, I mean, Union Berlin is creating some serious separation, at least in some performance metrics uh, versus the rest of the league. And, and granted, this last game was an outlier. So maybe we, it's very difficult to take these numbers to the bank because it's so early on. Yeah, it's early season. in the game. But they, they've been playing well to begin it, begin the season. And he's been a large part of that. Um, and, and that type of thing, you know, within the, the small context here we're referencing, you can take to the bank. He's capable of doing this. And he's capable of doing it against very, very good players when there's expectation. So that's the kind of thing that gets somebody on the plane to guitar. Yeah, for sure. And what I also really appreciate about the way that he's playing is 
I don't know, man. I, maybe it's not good to read too much into like what the fan base says because it's so it's there's so much hyperbole out there. But there was a lot of criticism about P Folk being like only a guy who can poke the ball in in front of the net. And when you watch this dude play, like his ability to win aerial duels, his ability to uh, take a few touches and then either make the pass or take the shot that he needs to take. The guy is very efficient in the way he plays. And um, it's just very interesting to like uh, read some of the metrics that you'll, you'll find about the guy, um, namely related to his, his passing and dribbling um, because he's not called upon to do those things a whole lot. So his ability to complete uh, it's not his ability to complete passes, passes or dribbles. He, the dribbles that he's completed or the passes that, that he's completed are less than other strikers in the league, but it's mainly because he's not relied on to do those things. However, in the moments where he needs to do them, he does them really well, which is a big reason why Union Berlin is able to put up six goals in a game. So I think P-Folk's doing a great job at um, demonstrating how he's a multifaceted forward that isn't just the type of guy that can poke the ball in front of the net when he's playing for the best team in the Swiss league. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, when you hear things like we watched the tape and we weren't impressed, the uh, failure there isn't in what's on the tape from P folk. It's ability Uh, to read the tape. Yeah. I'd be surprised. Or the refusal to be impressed by things that get in the way of opinions. I agree um, but yeah, on to Haji Wright. Uh, this guy just keeps scoring. Uh, and this has been going back into what to close out last season, uh, two goals in a five, two loss. So I'm sure they're disappointed to have lost though. He does have, sorry, two goals in their five, two loss. Um, he has five goals in the first four games of the season. Uh, and somehow that's just second. I thought it would be first, but looked it up. It's second in scoring in the super league. Uh, yeah, he, he looks like a goal scorer. Um, you always have to take into account the level of the league, but he keeps doing it. Um, and he's, he's a big body, a physical specimen. And we know that the other guys on team police, namely, namely Polisic, really like, Haji right. So he's the one that I think makes it really interesting because I think Sargent and Pfolk have a very, very good chance to to go to Qatar. Uh, and we all know what Greg did after that game in El Salvador in terms of how he spoke about Haji. Um, so you wonder if him being this effective could ever be enough for Greg. But uh, I don't know what else he's supposed to do is kind of, you know, where it's at with him. Yeah, I agree, man. I mean, Haji's been doing this for two seasons, and um, I, I he's like one of those guys where I like think about the tape that I've watched over the last year that I, I really regret, regret not watching more tape of because the people who watch him, they say a lot of fantastic things about his ability to just be involved in like literally every goal-scoring opportunity, and he's finding flow out there. Like one of his goals, he magged the defender, like, and it looked very intentional, like he could predict when you know how the guy was making his run knew exactly where to slot it at what time and bent it far post through the defender's legs and it looked like it looked intentional and like you know you really have to be in a good spot to be doing those things um and unfortunately like i you know if i could have it my way it'd be right pfock and sergeant that are going to the world cup but um i think that 
Jesus will be there. And so the question is, is like, which one of these guys doesn't make it? Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, when you frame it through Greg's eyes, or at least what we think Greg's lens would be, given what we know from how he's behaved previously, it, it's pretty sound uh, what you're saying there. But um, yeah, we have Pepe to talk about now. So he got his first start of the season for Augsburg, played 56 minutes, uh, failed to really impact the the game much, hence, you know, coming out in the 56 minutes, and they lost 1-0. Pretty disappointing for Augsburg. Uh, for Pepe, this is unfortunately just kind of been more of the same in that in the last four uh, games where he was able to get kicker ratings, they've all been fives. So six is the worst. Uh, and you don't, you, you don't get a Nobody rating. Yeah, you don't get a rating if you don't like log enough minutes for them to to give a rating, right? So he um, has been putting up numbers in kicker, uh, and Augsburg are rumored to be looking for a new striker. So it's been it's been a difficult transition for this kid. Um, you know, I think Al and I both think this had his move had a lot more to do with uh, you know MLS type stuff, the, the owner's interests, marketing, a whole uh, swath of things that are, that are not on field type things. And we hope that this can be a lesson that, you know, other players in a similar position learn. Um, and we don't have somebody get, you know, tossed around in the way that, that Pepe did by, by his agent in MLS, uh, to serve interests that weren't primarily the players. Yeah, I agree with that. And um, that actually brings us really well into Jesus Ferreira for a number of reasons, one of which that they both played for FC Dallas. But the other is because this dude, I would imagine that there are going to be phone calls uh, inquiring about the player's ability, uh, availability. Um, as a, I think he's a designated player. Is that right? Yeah, he got that in the, uh, this last offseason, I believe, was got it's, the designated player tag. So he's making a nice amount of money now. I just think it's going to make it so it's like a financially uh, difficult for teams that would uh, want to reasonably spend on a guy like Jesus to go out and get him. Um, so I'm like a little bit concerned about his ability to grow, assuming he even does want to do that. Um, keep in mind, Jesus, Jesus's father played in the league and um, I'm going to get on my, um, I'm going to get on my Jesus bandwagon real quick. If this guy keeps scoring goals, like he's been scoring in MLS, he will walk out of the MLS as the leading goal scorer of all time. He's scoring that frequently. His incremental progress year over year has been exactly what you would want it to be. Um, so this is really interesting. So Jesus currently sits at second in the league in goals and assists. So I just had to correct that number um, as a 21-year-old. And Dallas went from 23rd place to 8th place and are 10 points clear of where they were last year at the end of the season right now. Um, with five games in hand, so Dallas has improved significantly. There, you know, there's a, um, I think there's like a, a 92% chance that they make the playoffs. Um, this is a guy who actually makes me interested in looking at the MLS, um, mostly because I don't think he's getting the attention that he deserves. So for the first time ever, I went to the MLS website to look at the playoff picture to find out how much better Dallas was season over season, and I get that they brought in new players, right? But the idea that like Dallas got better because they brought in new players is a really tough argument to make because you would have to also accept that they lost one of their best players in Ricardo Pepe, assume you actually believe, assuming you actually believe he was one of their best players. And one of the guys that they brought in, Paul Ariola, is having his best season ever. 
And so it's if, for me, it's no coincidence that Ricardo Pepe has the best season he's ever had, and Paul Ariola has the best season that he's ever had playing next to Jesus Ferreira. Um, so I think this guy needs to get – I think he deserves a little bit more respect. He is not one of those guys who gets on the field for the men's national team, and I go, oh, shit, there's the MLS guy who I don't like who's on the field. I wish he wasn't one of Greg's favorites. I, I see Jesus get, get out there, and I'm like, okay. Let's see what he's got. And he's consistently impressed me every time I watch him play. When I watch him play in the MLS, I'm like, well, there's a man among boys. And the funny thing is, is he's the boy among men, actually. Um, So I'm a big fan of Jesus. And I think he's the type of guy that could immediately make an impact at a mid-level Bundesliga team if he got the opportunity. And it wasn't cost restrictive to get him over there. Yeah, I I don't think that impact would come as a striker though. Uh he's been doing that for the US and you know a lot of that is is system based and and um Greg really likes what he brings for the false nine ask type player, but I tend to think his skill set would transfer very well to a um that level of team that you spoke of, maybe something in Eredivisie uh you know, maybe some, maybe even play on on a team like like Salzburg or whatever. But as more of a um, attacking midfield type, somebody that can be can be involved in in the press um, in, out of midfield, and then a good uh, good guy for quick passing sequences. Um, you know, he's a good technical player uh, in decent and small small spaces. So I wouldn't like anticipate him him being able to to really like play the nine um, at, at the, the top, top levels. But yeah, I, I, I think he can play uh, and, and contribute, you know, and, and be part of like a solid, I don't even see him being like a locked in starter necessarily, but really like part of a solid midfield rotation on a team like Hoffenheim. I, I don't, um, I don't see him being unable to do those type of things. No, neither do I. And I'm, I'm really hopeful he gets over there because like, I think, now is the time where he could recognize the most gains in his career. He's extremely confident. He's in good form. You know, if he can just like finish the season healthy and they can have it, even even if he doesn't play in the World Cup, right? If he goes and is like on the field and training and like has the experience, he's in a really good position to take the leap. And so I, I hope he does. And I got to correct myself. He doesn't sit second in the league in goal and assists. He's third. So my bad. He's tied with Brandon Vasquez for what it's worth. Give the devil okay. his due. Yeah, uh, I don't have too much else to say on on Jesus. I mean, I, I imagine he is going to Qatar, um, but like Alex, you said higher up. I'd really prefer at this point for it to be Sergeant uh, Pifok and Haji Wright. I think those are the three that, if we were really going based upon um, you know merit and having a good diverse skill set, that it would be them. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, as long as they, I mean, as long as they keep producing, um, they're going to have an argument for themselves. So I guess we'll see what happens over this next window. It should be an indication of where things stand. Um, Ryan, do we have anything else that we want to cover off on, um, or are we uh, are we in good no, shape? I think that's it, man. It was uh, it was nice to link up. We had to jam this in on Monday because the games are coming tomorrow through through Thursday. And uh, if we can find some time, we're going to try to get squeeze another podcast in uh, between the end of this round of EPL fixtures and um, and the Saturday games. So we'll see what we can do about that. 
Yeah. Um, Ryan, looking forward to getting back uh, together to do this, hopefully around Thursday. And um, gang, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back with you before too long. Take care. Bye.